in that day you will cry out because of your king, the king you chose for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you on that day. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I hadn't even been a pastor for a whole week before I had my first visitor at my first office. With only one Sunday under my belt, with annual conference still ringing in my ear, I sat in my office. There were boxes of books still unopened everywhere. I had so many papers packed and stacked on my desk that I couldn't even see the person when he knocked on my door. I had to move around the desk to see. And when he walked in, I tried to place him. The Sunday, my first Sunday as a pastor, was such a blur that I couldn't tell if he was one of mine, uh, if he had been in worship that Sunday or not. And I was trying to place him, thinking if he was a stranger or familiar, and then he answered my question for me. He introduced himself, I won't say his name, and he said, I'm your local state representative. I know that you're new to the church. In fact, I know this is your first week, and I wanted to come and introduce myself to you as one of our community's leaders. I wanted you to know how grateful we are that you are here, and how excited that this home is now your home. I thought, good Lord, I'm going to love being a pastor. This is great. My local state representative came to see me in my office to welcome me to our little town. It was incredible. I, I was just so flattered and flabbergasted. It was incredible. And so we talked for about 15 minutes. We, we talked about where we grew up in Virginia, what schools we went to. We debated about whether James Madison University is, in fact, the real University of Virginia. It is. <laughs> and we talked and we talked and we talked. And, and finally he said, you know, I should probably get back to my office. And I thanked him profusely for coming to see me, to introduce himself to me. He gave me his card. I mean, to this day, I just still think about how incredible the moment it was. And when he walked away, he got to my door, and he started going down the hallway, and right before he turned the corner, he looked over his shoulder, and he said, oh, by the way, preacher, I always appreciate it when my pastors put in a good word for me every election season. <laughs> by the way, preacher... I really appreciate it when my pastors put in a good word for me every election season. You know, that's actually against the law for a pastor to endorse a candidate from the pulpit. And do you know how many pastors break that law all the time? I really appreciate it when my pastors put in a good word for me when the pulpit during an election season. Everything is political. We could say that everything has always been political, and though that's probably true, it hasn't always been this political. I challenge any one of you to get online or open a newspaper or turn on the television without learning about a vote or a lack of a vote in Congress, without learning about a radical tweet from our president, without learning about any number of issues. Politics have become the totality of our news. Since last Sunday, in one week, in one week, one of our former presidents, Bill Clinton, he was interviewed about his affair with Monica Lewinsky. And he publicly stated this week that he doesn't believe he owes her an apology. 
the most powerful man in the world, who had a physically intimate relationship with one of his subordinates, who then lied about it to the American public, doesn't think that he owes her an apology. In this revelation, it's all that the news could talk about for hours and hours and hours. Until the next day. Again, within one week. Our current president hosted a patriotism event at the White House. After publicly lambasting the Philadelphia Eagles and the entire National Football League for not respecting our nation's flag, the president had this event. It's called a patriotism event with, with flags and with a band and a choir. And they were all up there performing God Bless America. And the camera zoomed in on our president, and he didn't know the words. And for hours and hours and hours, it was all the news could talk about. Any one of you want to stand up and sing God Bless America? <laughs> Since last Sunday, I've driven my car all over Woodbridge, and I have heard two completely different political pundits representing both sides of the spectrum say the exact same thing. The 2018 midterms will be the most important election in history. Which, for what it's worth, is what they said about the 2016 election, it's what they said about the 2012 election, it's what they said about the 2008 election, it's what they say every time. Everything is political. And because everything is political, we continue to dig our political trenches deeper and wider, and we let them completely infect the church. So the elephant in the room... Actually, the elephant and the donkey in the room is the fact that we've let the elephant and the donkey into the room. You might be thinking, Taylor, what's so wrong with letting animals into the church? Didn't Noah bring them on the ark? Aren't they part of God's good creation? Wasn't our Lord born in a manger surrounded by farm animals? Friends, the problem with having an elephant and a donkey in the church is that at any moment they can go on a rampage through this place. Just like they do every election cycle, and now they do two or three times a week. And to make everything a thousand times worse is we knew exactly what would happen when we let them in. Oh Lord, give us a king so that we might be governed like everybody else. The people of Israel declare. And the Lord warns them, I'll give you a king if you want a king, but know this. The king, he will send your sons and your daughters off to war. The king will take a tenth of everything you own and keep some of it and share the rest with the wealthy and the powerful. You will become slaves to the political regime of your own design. And when you begin to see what you have done, when you cry out to me because of the king, the king you chose for yourselves, I will not listen. Try to be thankful for that. Our desire to root ourselves in our politics, to root ourselves in our elections, it's no new phenomenon. The people of God, having finally placed roots in the promised land, are no longer content with the guidance of would-be judges, and they demand action from the Lord. Give us a king so that we can be like everybody else. And since the days of Samuel, there have been two responses that the church has had to politics and our faithful living. The people of God are either tempted to avoid politics altogether, there's a talk of spirituality and prayer and personal relationships with Jesus. We proudly proclaim that pulpit proclamations and personal political proclivities have nothing to do with one another. 
We say things like, I don't want to hear about politics in church. Or, we are tempted to shout out in resistance to whatever comes from the towers of power. During the Davidic kingdom, it came from the temple, and today it comes from Capitol Hill. We forge ahead. We wage battles against those with whom we disagree. We not only point out the elephants and the donkeys in the room, but we also rage against them with every fiber of our being. We complain about politics all the time. Whether our party, whatever party it is, is in power or not, we hold our elected officials to standards that we ourselves do not hold ourselves to. And when they disappoint us, we act like we're surprised. But we get the politicians we deserve. And it's all too tempting to blame those who represent us today for all of our current problems. Looking for scapegoats, it's part of who we are. But the blame game is not enough. Because the truth of the matter is that they, politicians, they're not the problem. The problem is us. It's us. We forget the intense emotions of all sides of the political spectrum are remarkably similar, even though they come in completely different value systems. Much of who we are politically is not based on what we want the world to look like. It's not based on our deep-rooted convictions. It's a reaction to what we're afraid of. The Israelites, they were afraid that without a king, they would not be like everybody else. That they would not hold the might and the power they so desperately craved. That they would fall back into the chains of slavery like they had in Egypt. The deep fears about their present reality, it convicted them to demand a king from God. And God, a loving God, listens and gives them what they want. But not before warning them about what would happen. The Lord provides vivid and frightening details about what their future holds in store. That it will not only affect them, but their children and their children's children. That it will affect the land that they are on. It will be part of every part of their lives. The Lord warns them. And how do they respond? No. We are determined to have a king over us. So we can be like everybody else. Christians are not like everybody else. Contrary to what we might read in the papers or see on television or scroll through online, we are supposed to be counter-cultural. Our values rarely harmonize with those surrounding in the world run and consumed by politics. We are not a red church. We are not a blue church. We are not a church of elephants. We are not a church of donkeys. We are a purple church. We worship the Lamb. You see, we did not elect Jesus. We did not listen to him make speeches with empty promises before we decided he could be ours. We did not choose him. And honestly, I doubt we would have if we had had a choice. He does not represent economic power. He does not represent militaristic might or the promise of new jobs. Barabbas sounds a lot better than Jesus. And yet Jesus is his own politics. A politics rightly understood is not the fight for a more democratic world. It's not the protection of freedoms. It's not implementations of strategies to make America work. Politics, following Jesus, it hinges on our willingness to be a people of truth. Following Jesus means we tell the truth. 
We do not turn blind eyes to what happens outside of our walls, and neither do we ignore the elephants and the donkeys that all too often dominate our conversations in these walls. And let me be abundantly clear, this is not an easy thing to do. It is a very difficult situation because the elephant and the donkey have become so strong and so loud and so powerful that we cannot get them out of the church. We're stuck with them. And because they are here and not going anywhere, we will argue. The pettiness of conversations online, on the radio, on television, they will continue to infect everything we do and think and say and believe. But after all, we Christians are those who love our enemies. So perhaps the invasion of political animals in this place will actually give us the opportunity to follow Jesus and love the people we hate and the people who hate us. We tell the truth. And the truth is, we are not like everybody else. We are Jesus' people. I know I've shared once before that uh, during our last presidential election cycle, I prayed for 18 months about whether to vote at all. We spent $2 billion as a country deciding who our president would be. It was so hard for me to not be apathetic about the entire thing. And so I finally came to the conclusion that I would not vote, that I was just going to sit this one out, that the Christian thing to do would be to let God decide. And then election day came, and I found myself driving to the voting station. It was at a local church just down the hill from the parsonage. And when I got there, I walked into the church's fellowship hall. I got in the, in the queue with everybody else, and I waited my turn. And I went over to my little section. I filled out my scantron. I brought it over to the machine, and it ate it. And it said, ding! It said, vote cast. And then I looked up. There were two voting booths, and right above the voting booth was a painting of Jesus. And it was not Jesus at the Last Supper with his friends and his disciples. It was not Jesus being baptized by John or River Jordan. No, it was a painting of Jesus laughing his butt off. And I thought, how perfect. Jesus is laughing at me. Jesus is laughing at all of us. All of us. Thinking that we know what we're doing that we know what's best for ourselves. Jesus, laughing at us for being fools, thinking that we can make the world a better world, thinking that maybe we would finally get it right this time. No, Jesus was laughing at me and all of us. Now, Jesus' laughter at our political pandering is not to say that politics are inherently wrong or evil or bad. Jesus is not calling us to dismantle our current form of government, nor is Jesus calling us to retreat from the world in our own caves. Our democratic system has certainly provided a number of blessings to those who call this nation home. But when the bonds the bonds of the names on our bumper stickers, the bonds of the color of our political parties, the bonds of the animal with whom we identify is more determinative than the bonds of Jesus' blood or the water of baptism, we have failed. When the elephant and the donkey are more important than the lamb, we have failed. We are Jesus' people. We believe that telling the truth is more determinative than anything we will do. 
We confess that Jesus is our Lord. That's a truth that we proclaim boldly and proudly. And that challenges the status quo of animals running loose in our church. We believe that God raised a first century Jew from the dead to turn the world upside down. We believe that following Jesus means our lives will be more difficult because we will love our enemies as much as we love our friends. We believe that Jesus is Lord, that he is our king, a king we did not choose, a king we did not elect. Jesus, Jesus chose us, not the other way around. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen.